This is the Moira Pentecostal Church podcast, providing you with sound biblical teaching. New content will be available every week throughout 2016. We hope you will be encouraged, challenged, and blessed by this ministry. Ephesians chapter 2. And just reading verse uh, 10. Ephesians 2, verse 10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus. Workmanship, craftmanship, Designer made, bespoke, hand built are all words that convey to us something that is unique, rare, exclusive, and usually expensive. You think of Balik China, Wedgwood Pottery, Waterford Crystal, Tyrone Crystal, Rolex, Armani, Chanel and on and on you could go. All these things that speak of fineness, being exquisite, handcrafted workmanship. Notice what Paul said here, that we are his workmanship. We're being crafted by God himself. This in some way is a, a theme that we have today that we've carried on from this morning, if you, those of you who were here. Psalmist said in Psalm 139, 14, I will praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works. In Psalm 8 and 5, he says, We are made just a little lower than the angels. And so Almighty God is crafting and making each of us individually. And he's made us unique and rare. You came tonight with intelligence, with rationale, far above any creature on the face of the earth. He's given you initiative and desire, far above any animal. Birds can fly, but birds can't build a spaceship and go to the moon. We know that rabbits and badgers and moles can dig and borrow, but they can't mine for gold. An ape may be very smart, but it'll never be a brain surgeon. God has made us uniquely different. How rare are you? Seven billion people are on the face of the earth tonight. And six billion nine hundred and ninety-nine thousand and nine hundred and ninety-nine are completely different than you are. Nobody else has your fingerprints. Nobody else has got the patterns in your iris and retinas of your eyes. Nobody else actually has got your laugh. 
Everybody in here has got a different laugh. Everybody in the world has got a different laugh. Nobody has quite got your characteristics and temperament and personality all in one package, the same as you. God made us very, very different. Your eyes, your retina has got 137 million light receptors, and 7 million of those are for color. And I think I've lost about 2 million of those. Because <laughs> unfortunately, I can only see about two colors in the rainbow. If it's a very, very, very distinct rainbow, I might be able to pick three, but certainly not the rest. Your ears contain 24,000 fibers that vibrate to every single sound. Your body has over 500 muscles and 200 bones and seven miles of nerve fiber. So if you say, so-and-so gets on my nerves, well, there's seven miles of your nerves to get on. <laughs> your skin is stretchable, washable, waterproof, rust-proof. You have 500 sweat glands to every square inch of your body except your hands and your feet, and you've got 2,000 in those. It's the largest organ in your body. And uh, it's waterproof, so it can act like an umbrella. <laughs> it can act like a thermostat or a thermometer or a sunshade. And it's wonderful. But let me tell you something else about it that you're not going to like. All of your skin cells, all of them, have a look at them, all of them are dead. <laughs> and all of us, if you're an average sized person, you're carrying about every day about two kilograms of dead sin, 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 skin cells. <laughs> you go home tonight and you look at that dresser, and you put your finger across it, you can write your name on it, Almost all of that is your skin. It's a horrible thought, isn't it? There's about 2 billion skin cells every day is leaving your body. But thank God there's 2 billion more growing. <laughs> Otherwise, we'd be in big trouble, wouldn't we? Your heart beats 36 million times a year. It pumps more than 600,000 gallons of blood through 60,000 miles of veins and arteries and vessels and tubes. No wonder, David says, we are fearfully and wonderfully made. The four to five quarts in your body, blood in your body contains 22 trillion cells. And within each cell are millions of molecules. And within each molecule is an atom that oscillates more than 10 million times every second. Every two seconds... Every second, two million of your blood cells die, and two million are born. Your brain has 13 billion cells. In fact, that's all the brain cells you'll ever have. And 500 every day are dying. So somebody says, if you're going to do any thinking, you better hurry up and do it. Because <laughs> you're going to be running out. <laughs> But every one of those 13 billion brain cells is more complex than the entire telephone system in a huge metropolis like London. Your DNA, which in only recent times we're discovering the wonder of it, and it is a wonderful thing. It says it's the most wonderful, complex thing in your entire body. 
inside every one of your 100 trillion cells, inside every one of them is six feet of DNA. In fact, if you were to string that DNA together in a long string, it could go to the moon and back many, many, many times. And it's like that double helix that swirls around. And it's so special. Uh, let me just read this to you. It's called the Divine Encoder. A powerful example of design in the universe comes from the evidence of biological information, specifically the incredibly complex information encoded in DNA. The six feet of DNA coiled inside every one of your body's 100 trillion cells contain a four-letter chemical alphabet that spells out precise assembly instructions for all the proteins from which our bodies are made. Dr. Francis Collins, former head of the International Human Genome Project, which mapped the entire human DNA sequence, which has only been done this past few years, he explains it like this. Here's what he says. This newly revealed text was three billion letters long and written in a strange cryptographic four-letter code. Such is the amazing complexity of the information carried within each cell of the human body that a live reading of that code at the rate of one letter per second would take 31 years if you're reading it night and day. Printing these letters out in regular font on normal bond paper and binding them together would result in a tar the height of the Washington Monument. And all of that information is in every single one of your 100 trillion cells. And people say this was all an accident. It was a fluke. Cambridge-educated science philosopher Stephen Meyer he said that no hypothesis has come close to explaining how information could have gotten into biological matter by naturalistic means, or in other words, by evolution. On the contrary, he said that whatever we find in a sequential arrangement that is complex and corresponds to an independent pattern or function, this kind of information is always the product of intelligence, books, computer codes, and DNA have all these two properties, he said. We know books and computer codes are designed by intelligence. And the presence of this type of information in DNA also implies an intelligent source. In addition, Meyer said the dazzling array of new life forms that suddenly appeared fully formed in the fossil record with no prior transitions would have required the infusion of massive amounts of new biological information. Information is the hallmark of mind said Meyer. And purely from the evidence of genetics and biology, we can infer the existence of a mind that's far greater than our own, a conscious, purposeful, rational, intelligent designer who's amazingly creative. And he finishes by saying, that sounds a lot like the mind that, according to Genesis 2-7, formed man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. Let me read you something else quickly before we move on. This author said, The wonder of cells is not that things occasionally go wrong, and they do, and that's why we have cancer and diseases, but that they manage everything so smoothly for decades at a stretch. 
They do so by constantly sending monitoring streams of messages, a cacophony of messages from all around the body, instructions, <laughs> queries, corrections, requests for assistance, updates, notices to divide or expire. Most of these signals arrive by means of couriers called hormones, chemical entities such as insulin, adrenaline, estrogen, testosterone, that convey information from remote outposts like the thyroid and endocrine glands. Still other messages arrive by telegraph from the brain or from regional centers in a process called parkrine signaling. Finally, cells communicate directly with their neighbors to make sure their actions are coordinated. Now, when you read that, that that writer wrote, surely anybody with any wit whatsoever would conclude that that is not by accident. It cannot be by random chance. Surely some mind designed that to be so. But because he's an evolutionist, Here's how he finished. What is perhaps most remarkable is that all this is just random, frantic action. A sequence of endless encounters directed by nothing more than elemental rules of attraction and repulsion. There's clearly no thinking presence behind any of the actions of the cells. It all just happens smoothly and repeatedly and so reliably that seldom are we even conscious of it. Yet somehow all this produces not just order within the cell but a perfect harmony right across the organism in ways that we've barely begun to understand. Trillions upon trillions of reflective chemicals react and reactions add up to a mobile thinking decision making you or come to that a rather less reflective but still incredibly organized dung beetle. And he says, every living thing, never forget, is a wonder of atomic engineering. And that's the problem with the evolutionist. No matter how much design he sees, no matter how much atomic engineering he admits, he will not admit God behind it. That's why Paul says in Romans 1 that they suppress the truth in unrighteousness. And he's a classic example, smart as he is. And so God has given this tremendous body. So you didn't come from an ape. You're not a monkey's uncle. Thank God. You're not the result of some intergalactic explosion or you're not the scale of some prehistoric reptilian mammal. You are made by Almighty God, exclusively made by God and exclusively made for God, Hallelujah. made in the very image of God himself. In him we live and we move and we have our being. Amen. And so Paul says we are his workmanship. And the word here, here is poema, which means poems, where we get the word poem from. So we are his poem. Paul puts that another way. In 2 Corinthians 3, he says, you are epistles of Christ. You are the letters of Christ, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of God, not, with, not on tables of stone, but on tables of the heart, known and read of all men. And so we are living epistles, poems of God, and we are saying something and people are listening. 
So the question is, what are we saying? What is our life story telling? What is it saying to those out there that we work with or we live beside or perhaps we live with? What are we saying? We're saying something because we're a letter, we're an epistle, we're a poem open and read by all men. Created in Christ Jesus, 2 Corinthians 5, 17, therefore if any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. And Jeremiah 18 talks about the potter working on the clay and the wheel molding and shaping and making it into a vessel that he wants it to be. Then he says we are a workmanship, we're God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Now, my wife here, Sally, she likes nice things, as does most people, especially women. Nice things. And for a few years, one of the nice things that she used to collect was those Dalton figurines. Now, some of you young ones probably would have no idea what a Dalton figurine is. But when you get to about 40 and beyond, yes, you probably remember Dalton figurines, those beautiful little China dolls that were beautifully crafted, wonderfully made, beautifully painted, wonderful color, ladies in crinoline dresses and all the, all the rest of it. You know what I'm talking about. A bit old-fashioned today. They're stuck away underneath the cupboard somewhere. If we live long enough, they'll probably come back into fashion and be worth a fortune. And we'll sell them on eBay. All right. And take a cruise, go on a holiday. <laughs> and so we can appreciate the craftsmanship of the Dalton figurine. We can appreciate how exquisite it is and the design and the color and the china. However, notwithstanding all of the craftsmanship and the creativity, it has no practical purpose. It has no practical function. It is there simply to look at and to admire and to say, isn't that beautiful? But it has no practical purpose. It's simply for show, display only. But when God made you and he made me and he put us on display for this world, it wasn't just to show us off to the world. It was because there was a practical purpose for our lives. It's so that we may influence and touch others for Jesus Christ. We're his workmanship. I told you this morning that uh, I had a prop to show you tonight. I rarely ever use props in preaching. Probably should do it more often, but I'm going to show you tonight my prop. Now, you all know about uh, Tyrone Crystal and Waterford Crystal, and you know if you, if you do that, it rings, and you know that it's good quality. And this is full lead crystal, it says on it. And it looks quite good, doesn't it? It's sparkly, and it's full lead, and it's cut. 
You can see the, the markings on it. And so from where you are, and from where I am showing you this, it looks not too bad, actually. But on closer inspection, Becky, see, I know Becky likes fine things. <laughs> fine dining and fine things. Don't embarrass me, she's not going to embarrass you. <laughs> but you're going to look at this and you're going to inspect it, right? And if you look at it and inspect it, have a look at those cuts right up the side, all right? And then have a look at those axes across that. It's not so hot, sure it's not. It's not symmetrical, sure it's not. Yeah. Some of those cuts are longer than others. Some are wider than others. And those crisscrosses are all shapes, aren't they? Yeah. They're, They're all different, yes. So you may conclude by looking at that, that that's a second-hand reject. You may conclude by looking at that, that that is simply a trainee did that. You may say, well, it was somebody just starting out and they were practicing. But actually, the person who did that, that was the first time they did it, and it was the last time they did it. They never, ever did that again. You can see why when I look at it. <laughs> and the reason why I know that is because that person was me. Hi, okay. oh, you're good. It's not so bad, my shirt's not, eh? <laughs> that person was me. And I'll tell you what happened. Sally and I, one time, were, what was it? Bloomfield Shopping Centre, I think that's what it was. And we were going through, and there was a big crowd, and, and there was something going on in the middle of the crowd. So, nosy beings as we are, we decided to investigate. And sure enough, there was a man sitting at a wheel from Tyrone Crystal, and he was making glasses. And we were all intently watching him, watching the craftsman, expert craftsman, doing his craft. And then he stopped, and he says, Anybody want to go? And everybody stepped back. <laughs> Except me, I stepped forward. I says, I'll have a go. Thank you very much. And so he put the apron on. Now, it's not as easy as you think it is. And I'll tell you why, because, you know, it's a diamond cutter, and there's water poured on it so that it doesn't... But there's a diamond cutter. But if the diamond cutter was at the top and you're looking down, but it isn't, it's underneath. So you're looking through the glass... Both sides of the glass, you're looking through at the diamond cutter. He said, by the way, he says, the base is pretty thick, so he says, you can have a real good go at that. You can cut that fairly deep. But he says, be very careful when you go up the glass because it gets thinner as you go up. And he says, you could so easily just cut right through the glass. So it did my best. But when you look at it, it's not very pretty, Clifford. Sure, it's not. Look at that. Look. Them's supposed to be the same length. Look at the shape of them. But that's because... I'm not a glass cutter. I'm not a master craftsman. But let me show you this. Now, Becky, back to you again. Look at the difference in that. Now, that's expertly done, isn't it? That was no trainee or no like me having a go at it. That was done with a real craftsman, a real expert. That's a do-it-yourself job. 
The reason why I'm saying this is because spiritually, oftentimes, we try to do it ourselves. Instead of letting the master craftsman work in our lives. He knows what he's doing. When I did that, other than him giving me a little clue, by the way, he, he had a felt-tip pen. He made those lines and those crosses to give me a guide. But he didn't need it for that. Whoever did that did it solely with their eye. Why? Years and years and years of practice. Could have done it blindfold because he knew exactly what he was doing. And so spiritually, sometimes we try to do it ourselves, forgetting that he is the master craftsman. And if we trust him and we put our faith in him and allow him to work in our lives and to shape us and mold us and cut into our lives, then he can produce a vessel that's meat and fit for the master's use. Paul writes in 2 Timothy in chapter 2, verse 20 and 21, but in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also wood and clay, some for honor and some for dishonor. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from the latter, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified and useful for the master, prepared for every good work. I want to be a vessel of honor. I want to be a vessel that the master has shaped and has modeled and has worked on. I've tried to do it yourself way a few times and it doesn't work. Believe me, it doesn't work. It gets you into all kinds of trouble. But if you surrender your life to Christ and say, Lord, work a work in my heart. Change me, shape me, mold me. You're the master craftsman. Help me to be what you want me to be. And if you do that, the Lord will listen to that prayer and he'll change your life. Second Corinthians 9 and 8 says we're we are to abound in every good work. He has made us for good works, to be vessels unto honor, to do good works for him. We are to abound to every good work. Corinthians, Colossians 1 and 10, we are to be fruitful in every good work. 2 Timothy 3, 7, we are to be thoroughly equipped or furnished unto every good work. Titus 2, 14, we are to be zealous of good works. James 2.17, faith without works is dead, he said. Matthew 5.17, let your light shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. God gave Adam a work to do. He was to keep the garden and he was to dress it. God has given his new creation a work to do. He says, go work in my vineyard. Labor, he said, while it is day, for the night comes when no man can work. So we only have one opportunity in this life, and God has given us it. And if we, as I said this morning and as I say tonight, 
if we put ourselves into God's hands and we completely yield to him and we surrender to him and allow him to work in us what he wants, then we're going to be a vessel unto honor that will give him glory. I'm very short tonight. You don't mind that, sure you don't. Is that all right, once in a while to be short? Say, David, I wish you were shorter all the time, but nevertheless, can't spoil you this way. But a wee bit short tonight. But I wanted to get across with that glass tonight. Do not attempt do it yourself. It won't work. Say, Lord, I surrender to your will, to your ways, to your purpose. And when you do that, then you'll see God making something out of your life that you never thought possible. <laughs> Let's pray. Lord, we take these few moments in this Sunday evening and we come before you humbly. And Lord, we want to lay down our lives. We're reminded of the old song, Take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to thee. Take my moments and my days, let them flow in ceaseless praise. So maybe in your heart tonight, maybe you want to pray a prayer, not my prayer, but your prayer. And roughly it will be this, Lord, I give my life to you. Cleanse me, mold me, make me into the person that you want me to be. That I may be a reflection of your glory. That Christ may be seen in me, the hope of glory. So, Lord, I bow before you in my heart tonight. I give you my life. I give you my body. I give you any talent I have tonight, any gifting that's in my life. I give it to you tonight that you may use it for your honor and your glory. Lord, help me to take the hands off myself and put them into your hands. So we give you thanks for this. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. We produce a variety of sermon videos and inspiring Christian content available for free on our YouTube channel. Just go to YouTube and search Moira Pentecostal or visit our website for more information www.mpc.org.uk